we continue to talk about David and Goliath, only uh, we're going to come back to the minute. Does anybody remember what today is? It's a special day on the calendar. What is it? It is. Did you watch it this morning? No, I did. I, I couldn't say this if I didn't. I watched it this morning, and I wanted to watch and see if Phil got it right or not. That's the name of the Puxatani groundhog, you know. There's one in Atlanta, too. What's his name? It's uh, Beauregard or something like that, I think it is. I don't know what he said. I just know the one up there got it right. He said, more winter. And you can tell the crowd when they said, oh, yes, we got to want more winter. And uh, the stress in that, you know, people are... Uh, Wanting it to get warmer and not be so confined is what that kind of life brings for them. And uh, you can tell the anxiousness. Today we're going to talk about fear and how to overcome it, whether it's uh, why it's there, and of course why we don't have to fear or to use that in a correct manner. Because fear, if we recognize it, is a serious adversary everyone faces. You would know that if you are a member of the army uh, who has challenged when there are enemies in front of you. You know that also individually. In our story, it comes when David, well, actually it comes when the armies of Israel are facing uh, Goliath and the army of the Philistines. You know that for over six weeks, twice a day, Goliath has been standing in the middle of that valley taunting the, the army of Israel. Send your best man out. Him against me. Mono e mono. You know, that kind of thing, you know. I, beating his chest. We don't know. They really made him out to be a super big, tough guy in the story. In fact, they spend three verses in the passage simply describing his armor and weapons. Whoever was writing this really was afraid of Goliath. They made him look like the one that no one could possibly ever win over. In fact, it says the king, who himself is probably the biggest man on the Israeli side, Saul was the big man, is also as terrified as his army. He does what any good king would do in that setting. He bribes someone, he thinks, to go and fight against Goliath. He said, I'm going to give you a bunch of wealth. I'm going to give you one of my daughters. And the only proviso in it is you have to come back. You know, you're going to go out there if you don't, you don't get anything if you don't come back. So you have to make it back from facing Goliath. You get all these riches and there was no takers. Small wonder. I mean, he's big and you're small. He is really trained, got all that armor on him. And you're thinking, I couldn't do it. No use trying. And there they were, terrified. You know that fear shouts out every day, in our culture around us. In fact, there's a stampede of it. All you have to do is to turn on the news or the radio, to go on the internet or social media, and you can hear it. Things that can, and they would think, should make you afraid. In fact, we've learned that fear sells things. That is, if you can make people afraid, they'll buy burglar alarm systems or other things that will somehow keep them safe. Some uh, channels on TV know that if they will make things look bad enough, you'll stay there and watch them. You know, they'll do that. And so fear sells many things. I think of one fear today that sticks out in our culture recently is what we call domestic terrorism, in part because we don't know where it's coming from. It might appear anywhere, and it's always devastating, and there's fear. 
Have you ever had fear in your dreams? I can tell you there's a, a common dream among new preachers. I know because I had it when I was young, and this is how it goes. I picture myself standing in the pulpit. I'm already, church is underway. I'm decked out with my coat on, my tie, and I'm dressed, but I'm missing one single item from my wardrobe. You know what it might be? My pants. Now, I don't want you to envision that the rest of this morning. That really would not be good, but, but that's the dream. It's, just that, it's that sense of, you know what it tells you, don't it? The reason the dream is there is you're afraid that you're not ready. It's that sense that I'm not prepared, but I have to be there anyway. And it is relentless that every week, and other jobs are the same way, ready or not, here it comes. And that sense you are afraid, but you have no choice but to show up and be about it. I know what fear is like. I've had uh, a personal fear to me that has grown in time, and maybe because some of it's my pastoral experience, many times I've gone to homes or into nursing homes or to special facilities where people suffer from dementia, and that has grown so much in our culture in the recent years, and as we each grow older, I do, I wonder, is that a part of my future? And it can be a fear that you have. I don't want that to be a part of my story. Max Lucado in his book, Fearless, says this, when Christ is great, our fears are small. You see, fear is going to be around us. There there are fear mongers out there that will stick themselves into your life without you ever asking about it, trying to disturb the peace around you, and you're trying to figure out how to handle that. And this is the answer. When Christ is great in our lives, our fears are small. We have to learn, learn the way we can to follow and not be so afraid. That is the story of David and Goliath. For David arrives, we said last week, reminding ourselves, not as a soldier, but as a youngest brother delivering provisions for his older brothers who were there as soldiers. He simply goes to see what's happening and arrives seeing Goliath out there doing his daily taunting of the army of Israel. And he can't believe someone hasn't challenged this sorry scoundrel. So he says, I will go. And I imagine half the army laughed. If you read the rest of the text, his brothers laugh at him. Now, what are you? You just came to deliver our food. You're not a soldier. Go home. No. No, I'm here, and I'll fight. And goes to the king and says, you know, I'll go. And man, they're saying, man, they're just going to kill you. We ain't going to be better off if you're dead out there. Why, why we send you out there anyway? And he tells a story. You don't have to worry about it. He said, I know how to do this. I just take a club and I'll beat him to death. Yeah, you're going to reach up nine foot six inches, you short little guy. You're going to do that? You're going to beat him in the knees, right, till he falls down lower. No, he had a different way in mind. They were not impressed by his own people were not impressed by him. Now that's not a good start to a war, is it? When your own people can't imagine why they'd send you out there, you're wondering why you should go. But fear had seized the crowd. It's amazing that Saul, who once was a great leader, a great military leader, he's a big man, is now as afraid as his army. We understand that if you read just a chapter earlier, 
when he has displeased God, it says this. What it means is that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. All I can tell you is that was a bad time for it to happen. I mean, right before we turn to 17, chapter 17, and they're confronting Saul, the Spirit of the Lord departs from him, and now Saul, who may have been greatest leader, a confident man, finds himself just as afraid as the others around him. There we find the solution to the story. We find the way you and I can begin to deal with fear in our lives. In a spirit-filled life, fear falls victim to courage, not the opposite. Often, courage falls fear, falls to fear. But here, courage defeats uh, fear itself. David shows no fear. He is willing to go out and take on this giant of a man, not with the armor of Saul, but with the simple weapons that he had practiced and knew would work for him. And he goes and defeats Goliath in short manner. And the army is routed, and the people of Israel win a great victory. Well, we know when Christ is great in our lives, fears are not. There's one fear in the scriptures it teaches us that you really want. And that is the fear of God. That is the meaning we want to keep God into the proper respect. Hold him up for who he is. Don't make him into something he is not. Let's give an example. Uh, you know, a box is are a very important of life. I'm simple, B-O-X. I don't know how many you may have in your, your house. We, we have lots of empty shoe boxes, which eventually will collect and hold little objects. When we uh, get bigger things, I have larger boxes we have saved over time. And I don't know how many times in a week or a month a box comes in handy. It's always carrying something. You may ship something in the mail or another carrier. So a box is important. We know how to use them. Lots of things will fit into them. Just get a big enough box. But the one thing we have to be careful of is not to put God in one. When we put God in one, what we're doing is we're making a different kind of God whom we can control. It violates the fundamental rule that is a recognition that we are not God ourselves. When you come to worship, part of what you want to remember, to know here, is that you are not God. You come to worship the one who is. Therefore, you come into his presence. The God in the box is the kind that we put him there because we want to use him when convenient times. We don't want him interfering with our life except when there's a need. So when we have a tragedy or need, we pop open the lid and say, okay, God, now it's your time. And when he's through, we put the lid back on as though that's all we needed and we can go about doing everything we want to do. And of course, when there's a tragedy, we open it. And there's special things we don't want God touching, so we sure keep him in the box when we're in that part of our lives. Today I shared with the confirmation class about the grace of God. And we, we went over the different kinds of grace. And if you've never been through confirmation, there's about provenient grace which we said in an illustration of a house, is where you're standing on the porch of the house, not yet in the door. As a place where we're near to the house, we're near to God and what he's doing. God is already working our lives. We're partly under the shelter of the house, but we're not on the inside yet. 
That's the way God begins to work in life around us and in us, but we haven't yet responded to it. Then there is what we call justifying grace. That's that experience of passing through the door to the inside. That's where it goes from being a journey I'm learning about to one I've chosen to be a part of. And when we open that door and we profess our faith, we then become an insider. God is not in it. We are locked in it. We are in it ourselves. And of course, he is with us. Then comes the other process called sanctification, where the sanctifying grace of God begins to work his power in every room of your life. Every experience, none held back. The whole lifetime we learn to give to him, we know who he is. Our God is too big to be put in a box and kept in such a place. What we do when fear comes to our life is we're caught in it. We need to recognize the danger when they're before us, but don't let it overwhelm us. We learn to exhale the anxiety that keeps us from recognizing that God is here and he has not left us and know that if there's a voice to be heard, a voice that is strongest around us that we want to listen to, it is the voice of God. Courage does not panic. It learns to pray. Courage does not bemoan, simply, woe is me, but it learns to believe. Courage is not languish, just listlessly, but it learns to listen. We listen to God's voice, and we do not fear. Jesus gives us some words to remember if we are going through times that are fearful, whether it's in a hospital or a graveyard or a war zone. He'd say to us, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. When reports come out in wars and rumors of wars, keep your head and don't panic. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. Do not leave fear, therefore, for you are of more value than any sparrow. Do not be afraid. The scripture teaches us that everything will work out in the end. That God has not given up nor quit. In the Hebrew passage we read, God says, I will never fail you or abandon you. If things have not worked out yet in your life, if you're in the middle of something struggle, it simply means it is not the end. It is not finished. God is there working with us. In a moment, I invite you to communion. I want you to come and receive what we have to offer here, but I want you to bring your fear and lay it aside at the feet of Jesus. Whatever fear holds on to you closest today, Lay it in front of him. Ask him to take it, to give you the courage that's needed to face it, and he will. Remember, everything works out in the end. If it isn't working out, then it's not yet the end. Let us pray. Our Father, you are gracious and kind and generous in every way. And we are your children, failing in ways, fearful too much. Often there could be more courage. We're turning to you, asking for help, believing you're willing to offer it in this hour. Guide us now. In Christ we pray. Amen.